Hello and welcome to the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders Show, the uh, the podcast where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I am thrilled to be joined by the phenomenal Diane Lightfoot. Now Diane is the CEO of the Business Disability Forum. This is a not-for-profit membership organisation that supports organizations and businesses alike to recruit, retain disabled employees and to serve disabled customers. Dan has had a wonderful background within the not-for-profit sector and many years worth of experience and sits on a number of boards additionally, including the government's Disability Expert Advisory Panel, Work Autism and the Institute of Coding's Diversity and Inclusion Board. She's also the chair of the Disabled Student Stakeholder Group, which is a commissioner for the newly formed Disability Commission chaired by Lord Shinquin and hosted by the Centre for Social Justice. Welcome to the show, Diane. Thank you, Leila. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yes, I, I hope I live up to that amazing introduction and billing. I'll do my best. Well, you absolutely deserve it. My goodness, it was a short introduction, but I could have gone on, frankly, for a good another five minutes with the various other different hats that you wear within this space. But before we kind of get into the nuts and bolts of the podcast, what I would really love, because I have the opportunity to have got to know you quite well over the course of the last couple of months, but for those that don't know you as well as I do, I wonder whether you could talk to us a little bit about how you came to be where you are today, and perhaps even some of the great initiatives that you're championing right now? Sure well um, so as you said I'm, I'm chief executive of Business Disability Forum and I'll say a little bit about that and I've been at BDF for almost four years but in the disability space for about 17 years. Um, I was previously at a learning disability charity called United Response but I guess my my interest in disability really first started about a million years ago when I was at university and looking for a job for the summer holidays. And one of my best friends uh, was, I would call it now a support worker, um, on a children's holiday play scheme run by the local Mencap. And she said they had they had jobs going. So rather than going and pull, pull pints in my local or whatever else I would have done, I went and became a carer really to young children with um, a range of learning disabilities and also autism and that really piqued my interest because you know we, we don't really talk about learning disability we certainly didn't then and I found it really rewarding getting some bonds with some of the children one little boy in particular and that experience really really stayed with me so then going through you know, education and into work. I didn't think about that at all and um, came up through a, a route through communications. But when I was looking for, for jobs and I saw this job at United Response as it was um, about 17 years ago, that was a comms and policy job, but was, was working in the learning disability space, it kind of all flooded back to me. And I thought, yeah, I, I really want to do this. And I really want to work for an organization that is making a difference in a space that actually doesn't really get talked about. And then when I was at United Response, I was there 13 years. And you know how it is when you've been somewhere a long time, your job kind of grows and you acquire stuff. Well, I was always really interested in the employment services. And it's so it so happened that they needed someone to head them up. So um, in, in a moment of madness, I volunteered to add it on to my day job. 
and I just absolutely loved it and I, I was and still am absolutely passionate about the role of good work in transforming people's lives and in the context of people with learning disabilities I think it's in a way the most complete form of inclusion that there is and we used to talk about people being visible in the community and having circles of support and having independence and learning life skills and once you have a job and caveat a good job those things fall into place naturally. So that's when I kind of got the bug. So when I then, again, a million years later, I am several million years old, saw the job at Business Disability Forum, I thought that is that is my dream job. And, and nearly four years on, it's still my dream job. And so I get to work with just fabulous, committed people who are so passionate about disability inclusion. And then to go out to our 300 plus members and partners, and they collectively employ about 20% of the UK workforce. So there's a big impact there. And work with them in a really practical way to help them to support their disabled employees, to recruit additional disabled employees and work with disabled customers. And it's this really kind of practical intervention and practical support that we can provide that in lots of cases makes the difference between somebody keeping their job or not, which is, is fantastic, and then progressing. And then a kind of the flip side of, of that, or rather the other side of the same coin, I should say, is that because we work with this huge wealth of employers across all sectors, we then have this brilliant evidence base that we can then feed into, into policy and into government and really show again practically what does work for an employer and what does work for business to help shape future policy, um, which is indeed why we were set up in the first place to make sure that you know new, new policy um, at the time, the Disability Discrimination Act, wasn't just a lovely set of intentions, but that it was actually able to be operationalized and practical for businesses to be able to do and that's that's still what we exist to do fantastic what a journey what a journey and um, love to get into the nuts and bolts of talking about disability inclusion both visible and invisible um, because as you said there this is something that historically was was never talked about really as much as it should be but before we go into that I wonder just from a personal perspective because it seems such a serendipitous and, and wonderful uh, career that has almost it seems like it's happened organically but I, I also think with uh, you know CEOs and those who are you know successful execs like, like yourself that it is often the raising of the hand that then leads you to the next window of opportunity and so it's not all luck it is a lot of hard work and tenacity at the same time I wonder you know first of all did you did you foresee yourself as kind of being in this chief exec role when you when you embarked on your career as um, you know kind of a young girl and also um, is there any advice that you would give to other aspiring leaders who are particularly keen to work in in the not for not for profit sector or in fact be be in a chief executive role one day the short answer is is no I didn't and uh, perhaps I should have done is the, is the other part of the short answer but when I when I look back and also when I see write-ups of people's CVs and, and pieces I guess pieces like this it always looks like it's this really well thought out and planned kind of career path and trajectory and for me certainly it, it didn't feel like that I mean maybe it was more than I gave myself credit for when I when I was at school thinking about what I wanted to do and do for a degree I was actually really interested in psychology and sociology and social anthropology actually although I didn't know all those words when I was 17 <laughs> and um, and just kind of that human relationships and behaviors 
and um, because it was a long time ago my school said well really you should do you should do something that's one of your a-level subjects so I ended up doing music which I don't use at all in my current job um, but I did actually think about doing music therapy and I saw so I clearly was thinking about doing something with with people and then when I sort of fell into this in the communications space that really was about kind of I was really interested in kind of people's behavior and influencing behavior and action and you said had I thought about being a CEO in the third sector I don't think I even knew about the third sector at that point it was only when I was doing a marketing postgrad that I was talking to someone who said that their partner worked in the voluntary sector and I thought well that's really interesting and um, it so happened that they had a job going and I applied for it so it looks very neat on paper but it wasn't necessarily I think it was I think it's more about not being afraid to put your hand up and take opportunities and also advice from my younger self I think would be that you're probably that you're better than you think you are so all the way through until actually getting this job four years ago I used to think whatever level I was going for next maybe this is massively jumped up of me to think I could be a manager a director certainly a CEO and and I, I sort of I worried about telling people that I was going for for these jobs in case they thought well, you know, bless her. That's nice that she she thinks that she can do this, but it's a bit ridiculous. And so I'd like to say to my younger self, no, it isn't. <laughs> Believe in yourself. And also that everybody feels like that, or at least most people do. So the amount of people that I talk to who've got new, say, CEO roles or senior roles who say, gosh, I feel like I've got imposter syndrome. And I say, well, kind of everybody does, you know? And I kind of think it's a good thing because if we if we went into a new role thinking we were the bee's knees or, or whatever, then we wouldn't learn. And we would be arrogant and we wouldn't listen. And I think actually having that awareness of the things that we, we think we're not so good at is really, really important. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm spinning it into a strength, Layla. I absolutely love that. And I completely concur. Everyone, but everyone pretty much feels imposter syndrome. And I think sometimes it, it becomes even more so uh, when executives reach those lofty heights, because uh, it often the buck stops with with them. But, uh, but no, you're absolutely right. You know, many individuals that, that I speak to are in these, these fantastic roles. And I often pinch myself thinking, oh, my goodness, um, you know, wow, what, what an achievement. Um, but they feel it as much as everyone else does. And I think, perhaps that slight insecurity does support in in keeping them sharp and on the ball and striving to want to further achieve but it's interesting you know you talk obviously about about these feelings you know on the on the kind of the imposter syndrome side and um you know that's something which is an invisible an invisible strength as you as you alluded to there and when we talk about kind of uh, disability inclusion obviously there are the physical uh, disabilities but there's also the invisible disabilities and the di's and such i wonder for for people listening in uh, today whether you might be able to kind of just run us through some of those different areas of disability and also the importance of recognizing those as kind of a full full spectrum piece because i'd love more people to start recognizing the power and the benefit of both visible and invisible diversities when it comes to you know be it the boardroom environment be it that you know that eclectic mixture of of of, of thought when i talk to people who haven't really thought about disability the things that they tend to think are firstly that it's too difficult and it absolutely doesn't have to be and it isn't. They also think that it is something that is present from birth and that's not true either because 83% of disabilities are acquired so that's almost all of them. 
they also tend to think about wheelchair users, certainly physical disability, but particularly wheelchair users. And I should caveat that by saying, I think that's very, very important. And it's, it is actually ridiculous that in almost 2021, I think we'll all be glad to see the back of 2020, um, mm. we still haven't got it right. For physical accessibility and actually that is something we should we should be quite ashamed of as a society but leaving that aside actually wheelchair users account for less than 10 percent of disabled people so um maths is not particularly my thing but even i can work out that that means that 90 percent of disabilities are or disabled people are not wheelchair users and actually the vast majority of disabilities and by that i mean also long-term health conditions mental health cancer ms huge range of conditions are not visible and the kind of next rhetorical question if you like that I, I, I then sort of say is well does it matter if you know so if, if you if you if we take those figures it's almost certain that you will already have many more disabled people or people with a long-term condition in your workforce than you realize so does that matter and my response to that generally is well it might not but where is people's energy going is it going on trying to work around a condition or concealing medical appointments or trying to find somewhere private to take medication or trying to work around chronic fatigue or, or pain and not telling you because they're worried about what you'll think of them if you do tell them. Whereas actually, if you can have a conversation with people and just sort of frame it as you know, what do you need to do the best possible job and there are some positives around how we've been working with um, COVID actually around that and that then you can let people work in the way that suits them so their energy is no longer going on trying to conceal a condition um, but actually I'm doing the best possible job for you whether that's having breaks built in whether it's working flexibly whether it's having some assistive technology all those sorts of things and at the, at the core of our offer at um, business disability forum we have an advice service and we get an awful lot of calls to the advice service that are about from from line managers about individual employees and there are so many that are about I think I'm worried about this employee's performance because they're not paying attention in meetings and I'm not sure what to do. And it turns out when they then talk to that employee that they're trying to conceal the fact that they're losing their hearing and they haven't admitted it and they haven't spoken about it. And so they're actually not, not hearing what people are saying. So then they're not responding. And equally, people who are not perhaps achieving the right level of um, accuracy in report writing or whatever it is. And it turns out when the manager has a conversation that they've got dyslexia and they haven't said, or maybe they've even got undiagnosed dyslexia. And then by providing some really simple adjustments like speech to text software or whatever it works for that individual because everyone's different, that can make a huge difference in transforming somebody's performance and therefore productivity and therefore happiness at work, which is a win-win. And of course, the, the people that we hear about are by definition the lucky ones because they're the ones that their managers have had the insight to say, hang on, maybe something else is going on here before automatically going down some kind of performance route. So I, th I think if I was gonna say anything to anyone listening who wants to do something differently around their workforce and supporting people who have a non-visible disability, is just when you're gonna react in a way that you might just generally react, just take a moment to think, is something else going on before you react? That, yeah, I, that, that I think is the biggest, biggest thing that can make a difference. I think it's brilliant that there's been so many managers who call up who have the insight uh, to look 
below the surface level and what could be going on there. I I often requote this quote, I'm going to end up doing it again, but um, I know that I think it's about 30% is the time spent worrying about trying to fit in for those in minorities. And when we then uh, almost transfer that to what you're saying in, you know, perhaps productivity is going down because uh, actually there is an issue and there is the worry about, um, you know, actually bringing that to the forefront. I imagine that figure would probably be even, even higher, you know, considering, you know, that the worry is there, you know, oh, you know, could I lose my job? Am I, um, you know, do I want to be able to talk about this? And I think, you know, as you say, it is, is making sure that our managers, our leaders are equipped to be able to spot those signs, to not just take things from, from the face value. And I imagine as well, you know, disabilities, well, I mean, I, I'm dyslexic and I didn't actually find out for a um, number of years. It was, uh, it was at university and then everything seemed to, to kind of make sense <laughs> then at that point in time. But I think, you know, the more that we talk about these kind of, these these issues the more it becomes you know just a you know just a normal thing that can happen because people can develop these uh, you know these disabilities be it visible invisible over time and so you know realistically surely this you know you know this could happen to anyone ultimately it could indeed I, I was speaking at an event a few years ago about mental health actually and um I was I was on right at the end of the day and I was struck that, that everyone else was talking very very well meaning but they were all talking about them, those people over there who were with mental health conditions. And I thought, well, if you look at the stats, it's around one in four people will have a mental health condition. And, and so I, I look around this room and, and for the sake of my maths, I'm going to say there were 200 people. Hmm. So that means that 50 people in that room were or, or would have been in that year experiencing mental ill health. So I actually stood up there and said, it's not about them. It's about us. And I said, and I count myself amongst us. I have depression long-standing diagnosis and um, the amount of people that said to me gosh that's really brave and I thought well that shouldn't be brave should it it should just be a normal part of the conversation it's just a difference I don't I don't see that having dyslexia or having a mental health condition makes anybody the poorer it just makes you different and it's because of having a wealth of difference that we create something fantastic I was talking to someone actually around dyslexia again a couple of years ago and she was talking about the education system and we were saying you know we value accuracy over creativity too often and you know I, I wonder if I wonder if Shakespeare went through a spell checker I wonder you know what <laughs> but, but you know there's there's all sorts of different strengths that people bring and actually creating an environment where people can just tell you what they need and it's not anything negative it's just it's just a difference to enable them to perform at their best and I think language also plays into this very strongly. I'm quite passionate about this. And businesses often use the language of disclosing or declaring a disability. And that's so inherently negative or something to be ashamed of. I mean, you'd, you'd disclose points on your driving license or you would declare that you were smuggling something through customs. Well, you probably wouldn't declare it, actually, but you should. But it's really negative and secretive and something to hide. Whereas if you just say, tell us what you need... Or, or share your story, depending on what the culture is for your organisation and what fits, you immediately reframe it as something that is at worst neutral and at best positive. And that makes a huge difference in, in enabling people to feel actually it's safe here to talk about what I need and what will enable me to be my best. 
Some really great practical tips there. And I'm just going to come back to a point that you mentioned before, if I may, on the whole kind of us versus them piece and how we then describe that. And also thank you as well for sharing your, um, you know, longstanding in a piece with with mental health you know actually and I feel like I, I keep saying this but it's the same again here um you know for myself I think that power of storytelling it really does make other people want to share and that is you know that is that is the key uh you know it does normalize this and you know on this point of kind of the us versus them I wonder you know are, are you know what have you seen you know I suppose change over over the number of years because obviously being in the disability sector for for 17 years um you know I see in in other areas areas of, of diversity and inclusion, you know, be it race, be it LGBTQ+, that the same often happens. It is this us versus them or people because they are championing, um, you know, one or two specific facets kind of think, well, it's it's this one that's most important. Actually, um, you know, when we look at things in a more holistic way, it is, it's not a zero-sum game, as Lord, Lord Simon Woolley would say. It's not a, you know, you win, therefore I lose. It is a everyone kind of benefits. And so I just wondered, um, you know, any insight into terms of you know the, the the kind of the us versus them narrative um just because it's uh, you know it's very it's a very interesting one and i do hope that uh, we can move away from this in all areas in particular disability i think um ultimately wouldn't it be great if as a society we got to a point where we didn't need labels at all and we just saw everyone as individual human beings who are unique with unique skills and all equally valuable I think we're away, away till we, we get to that point. But the whole idea that you have to sit in one box or another is patently ridiculous. And um, one of the things that we've done at, at BDF is run um, career development courses for disabled people. And um, one of the people that came on it, a woman, uh, also a wheelchair user, and she'd been told by her employer that she could either go on a development course for women or a development course for disabled people. yeah and just that sort of well you you can you can be both actually (laughs) lots of people are and for her she she said actually that where she worked they were very good on gender and she didn't actually feel that her gender was a barrier to her so she felt she didn't really need to go on the one for women so she went on the one for disabled people but yeah it really should be an either or and, and I really I really think it's it's just silly when we we play off consciously or unconsciously different facets of inclusion against each other because they all intersect intersectionality is a horrible word for just being human and I think the more that we can tell those sort of different diverse stories and get diverse voices out there which are not necessarily not necessarily well you're talking about the gender bit and you're talking about the disability bit and you're talking about the race bit you know and and just be human would be amazing I do think as well that I wanted to thank you too, uh, Leila, for sharing the fact um, that you have dyslexia. And the reason I, I talk about it publicly is to make it safe for other people to do so. And it, it didn't seem like a really big deal to me. And I realised that's because I have the privilege of being uh, being the CEO. You know, I haven't got to worry that my line manager is going to look at me differently. But if that if me talking about it gives permission for others to think, OK, it's all right to talk about, then that's really important. And one area where I think... Um, leaders can play a big role is in talking about working differently and again COVID I think has helped with this so if senior leaders want to work differently if they want to work flexibly if they want kits if, if whatever it is they're probably senior enough that they can just do it they can just work from home they can just work different hours they can order what they need they don't have to go through a process 
whereas someone more junior probably has to actually fill in a form saying I need an adjustment and this is why so if as a senior person you can say you know what I work from home on, on whatever day because actually I, I have a lot of fatigue or I work flexibly because my, my pain is bad or because actually I'm quite low in the mornings or whatever it is that then gives permission for others sorry Leila I could talk about this for weeks <laughs> No, I and I could listen for weeks. Honestly, I uh, and and I am conscious of just making sure that we um, we cover everything we can here. I'm already thinking, oh my goodness, we need to do another podcast to talk about getting into depth into some of these different facets because honestly, the work that you're doing is is excellent, and we've already heard so many great actionable points. Um, I wonder whether you can go into kind of talking a little bit about the future because I know that you have um, you know ha have previously spoken out about. Um, you know, the, uh, the disability employment gap and, you know, obviously covered a, a lot around, you know, how speaking out the power of storytelling really does make a difference. And, and to your point there, um, you know, execs and leaders, absolutely. And anyone listening to this, please, please, please do say something because it does, as you say, um, you know, it gives that permission to all of the others um, within the organisation, so they think, well, if the leaders are speaking out about it, if the CEO is speaking about about uh, out about it, then it's okay for me to do so. But it's never nice, in particular at those those mid or even junior level roles, to be the first to put your hand, um, you know, up or head above the parapet. Com completely right, and a lot of senior senior people and senior champions, particularly new ones, worry about saying the wrong thing and. I generally say, well, you won't, you won't. Just actually saying something, just actually talking about disability openly has a, will have a huge impact. I mean, I, I think about mental health and 17 years ago, nobody talked about mental health. And certainly um, the received wisdom when talking about learning disability or mental health, say to a funder, was just, just stay away from mental health. We just, we, we're worried about it. And the fact that we've got to where we are now, and again, I think particularly through the pandemic, I mean, one of the things our members have told us is that the mental well-being and mental health of their teams has been their 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 paramount um, consideration. Actually, it's come came through a survey we did right at the beginning of the first lockdown back in um, early April, and I'm seeing a real difference in people talking about mental health, and as a result of that, talking more about disability, and I think part of it as well is. The sort of the humanising of, of working from home, there are lots of downsides to working from home around human contact, but the fact that we are seeing into each other's homes, um, we don't have that armour, we don't have that kind of office around us, it does break down quite a lot of the barriers. And I really hope that one legacy will be a kind of more human and kinder style of leadership, which would benefit everyone, that's not just about disabled employees. Um, but I also really hope there'll be an appreciation of working differently. So. Pre-COVID, the most frequently requested workplace adjustment was working from home. And I mentioned that also because employers worry that adjustments are going to be really costly. Well, that one is free. And lots of the employers that we work with are already, already fine with people working from home, but lots weren't. And, and now they've had to ha change their preconceptions that actually you can work differently. And so... I really hope that a legacy of COVID, and by saying legacy, that means it will be over. So I hope it will be over at some point, is it, as an appreciation of a different way of working and a focus on kind of what you need done and outcomes rather than being prescriptive about people having to be in an office nine to five and sitting in neat little lines outside the boss's office where they can be seen. And I think not to hang on to this would be a huge, huge waste. 
if anything, it's, it's probably the only silver lining that's come out of this incredibly different, difficult year, different and difficult, is just this actually more equal way of working for a lot of, a lot of people. Um, arguably disabled people are the experts in, in working like this. And it is really, really important in the context of the disability employment gap, as you mentioned. So the gap has remained pretty stubborn for a long time. It recently, probably about a year ago, got up to 50% of disabled people of working age in work. And its context, that's compared to 80% of the work, workforce as a whole. Um, the, every previous recession and, and financial downturn we've seen has disproportionately impacted disabled people and disabled people falling out of the workplace. But I would argue, definitely with my optimistic hat on, that given the advances in technology and home working and, and all the ways that we are now able to communicate as we are right now doing this over Zoom, that that doesn't have to be the case. And that anyone listening to this, and particularly employers, let's make sure that it isn't. Let's challenge the narrative that it has to be that way because it, I, it really, really doesn't. As you say, every cloud has got a silver lining and it would be a waste not to seize this opportunity uh, to really now make a sustainable difference because this has been, you know, the fastest things have, have ever moved on if we're to be, be positive about this, um, you know, in terms of going down the flexible working route. I'm no, I dare say I'm quite excited about some of the talent opportunities that could come to the forefront now. Um, you know, when we look at what's obviously happened with the pandemic, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of talk in, in government, in the press about building back better, you know, but the, the real true sense of that word, can we build back in a sense that actually we're looking at harnessing talent from all around the world, you know, all around the nation, where those that wouldn't have seen those opportunities beforehand now don't need to travel into the big cities or don't need to, you know, have gone to certain universities and certain locations or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I think it is, uh, you know, it is an exciting time in one way. You know, hopefully there is um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. As you say, the legacies, um, you know, do have a finish and we hear some positive noises about vaccines, which is... Uh, which is, I hope, um, true and, uh, and obviously uh, going to positively impact us. But you're right, you know, let's not, you know, let's not waste this, this time, um, you know, and the seismic shift that has, that has happened, uh, you know, within our wider society. Now, before we come to um, kind of summarising some of the key learning points from today, and, you know, as I said, I think uh, we, we've got to do some other key podcasts and pieces on some of the other actual points because there's just so much that we've covered today which is which is wonderful but in true to true to form style we always do our, our lightning round questions at the end and I'd love to just ask a couple of other questions before we go into summary if that's okay Diane first of and yes would love would love to come back Leila anytime Fantastic. Well, we won't let you escape now. We definitely would love to see you back again uh, here many times. Thank you. Um, so, you know, it sounds a simple question, but everyone says different things. Um, diversity and inclusion and belonging, of course. What does that mean to you personally? I think it means value. Well, what we were talking about, really valuing each person as a unique human being. 
and creating an environment and a culture where everyone can flourish. So recognizing that actually we need people from the widest possible background and skills and experience and people's unique experiences and perspectives on the human condition adds huge richness to our lives and our work. So yeah, and as, as a leader, I think it means living those values and creating that space where people can genuinely be themselves, however they want to be. And what about your your secret to success? I know it's a big question. It is a a big question. I asked my husband and he said writing lists. Um, (laughs) And I am I am very good at lists and he isn't. But I think I think possibly remaining optimistic and also being very calm in a crisis. I know I used to drive a former boss nuts at events because she used to think I was, you know, I was too calm. But I think, well, we've planned really well. And things will come up because they always do, but we will deal with them. And I'm also quite good at shutting off from work um, with a glass of wine in the evenings. Oh, you and me both. Uh, <laughs> I actually really love that list piece. No one has ever said that. But I, uh, I can imagine that be true with, with our uh, mutual love of stationery. So <laughs> writing <laughs> lists. Um, I, have to do, I mean, I used to keep a, a notepad by my bed on a night time, as sad as that might sound, because sometimes you just have to write it down. At least then it's being able to box it off somewhere else and then not worry about it. So I think a very good tip there. I know that we Thank talked... <laughs> I know we talked already kind of around any advice, um, you know, to your younger self. And so I'll, I'll pivot the question slightly and say, you know, for others who, who are listening in here, who, who are looking for, you know, guidance and, and, and wisdom, um, you've said, obviously, you know, you are better than you think you are. And I think the same, um, and I think that is, it, it is absolutely true for those people feeling imposter syndrome. But are, are there any kind of other, you know, key, uh, key nuggets of, of wisdom uh, that you may possibly uh, be able to share? or any you know any kind of final words I guess to to kind of really give motivation to those uh, wanting to take next steps or, or you know wanting to get involved in the DI conversation more getting involved in the DI conversation more I would say just do it just just start just start talking about it and and just the, the more people that talk about diversity and inclusion and just make it a normal part of what we talk about the better really in terms of advice I'd say that when it's the right thing, it will happen. And I think of jobs I have, I've gone for and not got. And in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't because this, this one is actually my dream job. Um, and there's also something to be said for getting older. It's, um, it, might not be, it might not be so good in terms of kind of um, lines, et cetera, but actually experience and confidence is something which just comes. And if anyone had told me when I was in my 20s, that not only would I get to a stage where I wasn't terrified of public speaking, I'd actually really enjoy it, I would have thought they were completely mad. So it does happen and you do change. Thank you so much for sharing. I, I, I do know I love your stories. I'm, I'm totally breaking my own rules here. I'm like, yeah, there's 30 seconds to answer each of the lightning round questions. Oh, sorry. sorry, um, sorry. No, 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 no. I didn't mean it like that. I'm breaking my own rules here because, you know, the the, the story sharing, um, and again, I feel like I'm saying throughout this entire podcast, oh, me too, me too. But public speaking, absolutely. I remember being at school and crying my eyes out my first ever time that I, I public publicly spoke in front of the class and it stayed with me for the rest of my life. And so, you know, first of all you sharing is making me want to start talking and sharing as well but I hope it makes other people really consider you know that 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 confidence and and that gravitas it grows over time you know I speak with you now and my goodness you know I just can't I almost can't imagine you ever being terrified of 
anything at all um, because you are so serene on that surface um, surface level and so um, you know for those listening in don't be fooled even the most senior execs do feel uh, do feel um, those moments or have had those moments within their career where it hasn't all been completely perfectly plain sailing um, and finally uh, I want Diane you know any favorite heroes sheroes books authors that you wanted to share that have particularly inspired you? I was thinking about this a lot. So I think hero, controversial, Thomas Cromwell as told by Hilary Mantle and played by Mark Rylance. Um, I think he's modern, relatable, pragmatic and has politics to deal with the life of I don't think we ever see. And I'm actually my Shiro, I thought about this, Jane Eyre. Um, mm. a sort of very early, stood up for herself, very early feminist. And my favourite quote, um, is T.S. Eliot from Four Quartets, which is humankind cannot bear very much reality. And I just, that's always stuck with me. I did it for A-level and I, I just love it really. What a beautiful quote. Thank you so much for, for sharing, Diane. And thank you so much for being here. I... There has been so many actionable points. I, I'm thinking of my, my summary because I've been making actually prolific notes on my notepad um, throughout the course of this podcast. And so I'll be, you know, as brief as I possibly can. Um, you know, to those that, have, those that have been tuning in today, I hope you've really, really enjoyed the show. Um, you know, please do consider some of the valuable insight that um, has been shared today. In particular, some of the points that stood out to me were those really actionable uh, learning pieces. Every single one of us, is human and adds value. Each of us is unique and can bring something to the table. If you're noticing or listening here as a line manager or a leader, please do consider the fact that there should be the question asked. There should be the question asked in terms of whether someone is okay, if there's anything that they would like to speak about, um, because that could be the reason for, um, for a, um, a lack of concentration or, or productivity or anything like that. Do not write anyone off. Um, it could be as simple as being able to allow them the safety to speak out about this. Let's work together to try and close the disability employment gap, because as you've heard today, um, those with disability, uh, or DI, um, you know, have a disproportionate challenge when it comes to um, in employment, in particular throughout these, these times of crises. Um, but also, um, you know, be a great role model, be a great advocate, um, whether it is that you, you suffer with, with, with DI in any way, shape or form, um, or, um, you know, if you are keen to be an advocate, make sure you get involved, make sure you get involved, make sure you educate uh, those within the organisation, um, make sure they know this should not be a taboo subject, actually, um, it can be a real benefit. Um, I'd encourage you as well to make sure you check out the great work of Business Disability Forum. Uh, you can visit Diane and the uh, BDF at www.businessdisabilityforum.org.uk. My name is Leila McKenzie Dallas, and you've been listening to the Diverse and Inclusive Leaders podcast show today with the superb Diane Lightfoot. We'll see you again next week and look forward to to seeing you soon you can download the podcast on apple spotify or visit us at www.dialglobal.org forward slash podcast and we'll look forward to seeing you again soon thanks diane